That's the voice of the Beavers, Mike Parker. And let's jump out to the lines now where Mike joins us. And he is entering, I believe, his 18th season as voice of the Beavers. Just an absolute living legend in broadcast circles. A six-time Oregon Sportscaster of the Year. Mike, how are you? <laughs> Judah, I'm not sure about legendary, but I will say it's my 19th season. So <laughs> time flies. But I've been at it for 19 years now with the Beavers and uh, looking forward to the 350th edition of the Civil War, which I've only, you know, I, I haven't missed many since uh, the early 70s, but I don't quite have the run that I have in football, which is about 45 straight now. What makes the basketball edition of the Civil War so different? Obviously, you've seen the Civil War matchup in just about every sport and have called many of them as well. What makes a basketball one between the Duck and Beavers um, kind of stand out? A couple of things, Judah. I think the proximity, of course, which doesn't change whatever the sport is. We're only 40, 45 miles apart, depending upon which parts of town we're talking about, Corvallis and Eugene. But the proximity on the court, the fans uh, in the old days at Mack Court, the fans at Gill, and, and certainly Matthew Knight Arena, when it gets loud and going, can be a very intimidating, raucous atmosphere. There's no question about that. It doesn't quite have the same feel or, or for me, the same kind of intimidating factor that MacArthur Court once had just simply because of how tightly packed in the fans were to the court. But the fact that the players are playing on a 94 by 50 hunk of wood, as Chick Hearn used to say, with fans so close pressing in on the players and coaches, it just creates a, a really intense, exciting atmosphere. And for me, when I think about Civil War basketball, the decade that I first was introduced to it was one of the most intense in the 70s with Dick Carter coaching at Oregon and, of course, uh, both the late Dick Carter and the late great Ralph Miller at Oregon State. I remember attending some of those games, watching those games, listening to those games, the intensity of those games in the 70s, which were often separated by just a few days, uh, even back-to-back -back days, if you can believe that. There were times in the late 60s and early 70s when the two teams would play one another on back-to-back -back days to fulfill their Pack 8 schedule requirements. Wow. And that just created an incredible sense of urgency and intensity. And there's all sorts of things that go on in the rivalry. And even though some of the histrionics have faded, we don't see quite the similar things that we saw in the 70s uh, in the rivalry, uh, it, it never fades in terms of what it means to the players. Even Gligorie Rakorchevich, who comes to the Bees by way of Montenegro, he said it didn't take him long to, to understand uh, the importance of the Civil War. He's he, and he and he said last year he and all of the Beavers, their pride was was really hurt by their 42 point loss at Matthew Knight Arena, and they've been living and stewing on that for a long time. Losses are losses. But in the Civil War, when you lose, it sticks with you a long time. I know that one has for Big G. But back to the point that the rivalry, it just, it's never in our state, as you know, Judah, it's always kind of in the forefront of the mind. It's rarely back of the mind stuff. In a moment's notice, people on both sides of the rivalry have all sorts of stats and numbers and thoughts about their enmity toward the rivalry or whatever else, players have the same thing. It's just an amazing phenomenon to me. And the proximity, I think, of the two schools uh, creates that and the fact that in basketball, 
you know, the proximity is, is within feet. Fans and, and are within just a few feet of the combatants on the court. Makes it a very interesting situation. I know it's on the forefront of Oregon's mind, the 12-point loss they suffered in Corvallis mm-hmm. back on January 5th. And yet, Mike, I'm looking at this matchup indicator on ESPN.com, uh, giving the Ducks over an 81% chance to win. And yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, the Beavers beat them in Corvallis by 12. They've got similar resumes in conference play. Both have wins over UCLA. Oregon State arguably should have won at Arizona State, where the Ducks won mm-hmm. earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So why isn't Oregon State getting kind of the respect or the credit they deserve right now? Judah, I think it has to do with the, even though Oregon has stumbled a couple of times at home in conference play, surprisingly, but they have. Even though that's the case, the Beavers' road record in the Pac-12, not only under Coach Tinkle, it's not a it's not a Wayne Tinkle phenomenon. I went back and looked just to get ready for this. The Beavers, since Gary Payton's senior year, have won 39 games on the road in the Pac-12 and lost 204. Hmm. So you know, there's a historical weight. I don't know how much that's computed into uh, ESPN game indicator, whatever it is you're referring to. (laughs) But I do think that the Beavers' road woes that have continued again this year, and even though they're playing better on the road, those games in Arizona were both winnable, and they had Arizona State, I thought, beaten and, you know, let some things get away from them defensively in that one, just as they did late against USC at home in the most recent loss. You know, but I, I think partly the 81% would be even higher if the Beavers hadn't beaten Oregon three weeks ago. They did, and they played well in it. But it's been hard for any Oregon State team in the last three decades to find a way to win on the road, and, and that may be part of that uh, number you just quoted. It's always fun to monitor the father-son dynamic with the Oregon State program between Wayne Tinkle as head coach and Trace, the leading scorer, Mm -hmm. and great to see Trace finally healthy. And uh, Stephen Thompson Sr. as the assistant coach and Stephen Thompson Jr. as the second leading scorer on this team. Yeah, Um, What's that been like to see both Stevie Jr. and Trace in their development as players getting to play for their fathers? It's been interesting in that Wayne in the first year that he coached his own son, there was a moment early in in that new relationship where, you know, whether Trace was having some difficulty dealing with suddenly now my dad is my boss and coach on the court and what kind of, if it created a little bit of confusion or bewilderment or tension or what, I think those words may be a little strong, but Wayne and Trace had kind of a coming together early that first year where they sat down and talked father to son, coach to player, and ever since then, Trace is, is sort of, uh, he's almost uh, Timothy Hutton to Donald Sutherland in the great film Ordinary People when Hutton says to his dad, Dad, you needed to be on me more. You needed to get on me more like you used to with him. And, he, and Hutton uh, is begging for that kind of authoritarian figure as a dad. And Donald Sutherland says, well, you don't need it. You're the hardest, you know, you you don't need it. Trace Tinkle doesn't really need it. He's the hardest working player on the court, diving for loose balls. The numbers you quote are, are real. He's a great basketball player and ultra competitive. But I've seen Wayne this year pull him, pull Trace aside and, and let him know pretty uh, 
fervently that he may have missed an assignment in a rotation defensively or didn't run the play as called out of a timeout or whatever else. But Trace, after that meeting with his dad, when they kind of got everything squared away, that relationship has been uh, enjoyable to watch develop. And the Thompson brothers, that's the other thing, too. Stevie, uh, one of the great college basketball players back in that Gary Payton era at Syracuse and legendary for his play with Syracuse, his sons are tremendous basketball players. And I've also noticed the dynamic of Stephen the Elder kicking into being able to challenge his, his own sons at times in practice and on the court for things that, as good as they are, they're things they're still learning and trying to get better at. There may have been a little reticence for a while on Stephen the Elder's part to let that message be heard, but he's been more vociferous lately in, in getting the attention of his sons about basketball-related stuff. So it's a great dynamic to watch unfold. There's tremendous affection and love uh, reciprocated on you know the sons and the father's part, but there's a lot of pretty uh, taskmaster coaching going on, too, and that's been fun to observe. Mike, I know your time is limited. Thanks so much for being generous to spend some with us here on 102.9750 The Game. And uh, I look forward to seeing you down there in Eugene on Saturday for another Civil War basketball game. It'll be great. Well, it's been a long time, Judah, a long time since uh, since I've seen you, so I look forward to that. But also a long <laughs> time since the Beavers have won at Matthew Knight Arena. The 81% thing, I get it. Oregon uh, is coming off a, a good win where they scored 94 points. But the Bees, if they get their tempo going and their defensive presence going, as they did a lot against Oregon up here three weeks ago at Gill, I think it, it has a chance to be a very competitive, exciting game, unlike the one last year that still sticks in the Beavers' craw from what happened in Eugene a year ago. I think we'll see a far different game, and I'm glad you'll be there, and I look forward to seeing you, Judah. Yes, sir. Those feelings are mutual, and something tells me it's going to be a good game. Mike, yeah. thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Judah. Talk to you soon.